Welcome to Coffee, Eggs and Inspiration. It's a weekly show that goes out over YouTube and as a podcast over all of the major channels. And each week I get to sit with an inspiring person and listen to them tell their story and share it with all of you. This week is no different. I'm here with Edan Dover. Welcome, Edan. What's up, Greg? How are you? Uh, I'm doing really well. Edan is sitting there and I think you're in Los Angeles, right? That's right. I'm in, I'm in London. It's dark for me outside. It's morning time for you. Yeah, I'm sure your weather is slightly better. I woke up about an hour ago, so my face has still got a blanket imprint, a pillow imprint on it, but uh, (laughs) I'm happy to be here. This is a great way to start the morning. Well, I feel like I woke up an hour ago, but it's been a long day already for me. Uh, Edan is a uh, one half of a a band, a huge band called The Score, pop, rock, alternative, kind of a mixture of all of those. Uh, these guys are a big deal. Uh, Spotify, 4.4 million listeners. Uh, YouTube channel with 1.3 million subscribers and getting uh, getting very close to a billion views uh, of the content on the YouTube channel, just under 700 million uh, so far and building really rapidly. Uh, some of the top tracks that people might recognize, Unstoppable, 110 million streams on Spotify, Legend, 113 million streams, and many, many others with, uh, with big millions uh, behind them. Um, really, really uh, impressive uh, situation that you're in now. What I think is really, really interesting as well is uh, what led you here, Edan? So tell me how you got started. You're, you're actually a classically trained musician, right? Yeah, I'm a pianist. Uh, I started when I was in second grade. I started taking piano lessons, uh, and I took piano lessons my entire life. Um, I started in classical. uh, Around 15 years old, I switched to jazz and started learning jazz, which was really cool because uh, it opened my ears to uh, improvisation, which is essentially composing spontaneously as you perform. So it forced me to really hear the music in my head before I play it rather than just reading notes off of a page. And I think that was really instrumental uh, to making the transition to composing and producing music later on. Um, and just like really understanding music from a theoretical standpoint and, and you know, how to dissect a song and understand everything happening. Uh, I was always good at like math and science. I'm a pretty technical guy. so it was natural for me to be able to dissect songs and kind of understand the DNA of what makes songs sound so good. Um, so I was always intrigued by that. Uh, and then uh, I eventually went to college for jazz performance, or I started as a jazz performance major. Do you find when you're performing live these days, do you do a lot of improv? Do you use those skills uh, when, when you're uh, performing your current in your current uh, band? Yeah, there's there's uh, moments where I'm able to do that. Otherwise, I'd say that most of the improvisation for me happens in the studio. It's the creation right. process in the studio where that happens. And, and the, the other thing I find intriguing there is that you were big on maths and science, and here you are, a professional musician. Do you see a relationship between those two? Is there a, is there a link, do you think, between a mathematical way of thinking and a, and a musical way of thinking? Yeah, 100%. Um, I think that, you know, I always enjoyed um, and I was always good at basically taking any finished product. And for me, it was always like artistic things like music or visuals. And it has, uh, when you watch the final product, it kind of can have an emotional effect. 
it really um, brings together all these small elements to have um, a larger, to like create a bigger picture sort of. And I was always fascinated by trying to dissect that and figure out what the small pieces, just like in physics where everything you observe in physics is, is judged and kind of defined by these rules, these formulas. And I thought it was so cool how a set of instructions basically uh, for the universe could result with when you throw in a bunch of different factors and different, um, you know, circumstances and situations could result in so many different final products. And so that whole like kind of thought process, I found that in music, you could apply the same thought process to, to, to create it. And do you, so do you find that there's, is there a formula for a great, uh, for a great track that's going to, that's going to really pick up? Is there a formula? And if so, what is it? Uh, that's the big question, right? I can't tell you all my secrets, Greg. <laughs> uh, no, there definitely, I'm kidding. There's, there's definitely formulas there. There's, there's tricks. There's things that as you, I mean, you can learn them just by, by listening to other songs. Um, but you kind of build your own bag of tricks as you're doing this for long enough. And your ear, you train your ear to realize what's missing. Uh, oh, you know, maybe like, you know, maybe the song, you know, the verse, every phrase on the verse of a song starts on the downbeat. And then when the chorus came, it also started on the downbeat, which is the beat number one of the measure. And that can feel a little bit cookie cutter and rigid. So then you realize, oh, the chorus needs to start before the downbeat or after to create that contrast. So things like like in music and in building songs, it's like always thinking about contrast and and like if you want the chorus to really impact and feel big, then you need to create a moment before the chorus that is really quiet. And that's how you feel an impact of a big chorus. So understanding like, yeah, those methods and, and working with contrast and Stuff like that. I, I could go into more detail, but <laughs> what? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's what's really interesting uh, listening to you is um, is this blend of both mathematical thinking and, and sort of all, almost formulaic thinking, um, yet improvisation at the same time, and, and, and the mix of those two that comes together because they they feel quite different to me. Are they? Yeah. Um, well. When you're in the studio and you're first coming up with ideas, you know, you may not be on stage. Improvisation is usually like jazz improvisation. You're on stage, so you're creating on stage. But when you're in the studio, you're improvising. It's just that nobody sees it until you until the finished product is made. So so when I'm sitting down at the keys, you know, trying to come up with ideas with Eddie, um, which is my partner, he's a singer of the band, um, for a track, we're improvising basically the two of us together and we're, we're trying to you know whether me like trying a piano melody or or what if the drum beat switched from here to here and and sometimes we're just like jamming out actually in the studio like just messing around until something feels good and, and then we start repeating that and being like okay is this the basis for a new song or where the bridge could go or something like that so improvisation still happen Right. Oh, fantastic. Um, I'm going to take you back in time again uh, as well, because I think the um, uh, the way that you got your big break, I mean, 
there's no such thing as an overnight success, right? It's a, certainly a very long night if there is such a thing. But um, do you remember a, a point in time that you kind of felt like you'd made a breakthrough? You know, you've been grinding away and, and you got that, that big break. And if so, can you tell us about that? Yeah. Uh, so basically, yeah, in college, after college, I got, I, I was interested in, um, I got interested in, in production, uh, pop production. I think in high school, I was more, I was more of a jazz head. And I, I kind of thought that jazz was the only music you needed to know and play. It was superior to all other genres, um, which was obviously silly. I mean, there's so much art and value in so many songs with vocals and incredible songwriting and, and that's like a whole nother science and art in and of itself. Um, and I got to really dig into it in college. And then I decided, you know, I wanted to learn how to do production, how to do pop production. Um, and I learned that wasn't so easy. It, was, it took, it took a while to get decent at it. And Eddie uh, and I started working together in like, it was 2011 we met. Gosh, it's crazy how long ago it is now. We're in 2020. Um, and uh, I was in New York City, and we got together every day and worked out of my uh, bedroom. I had a little computer like setup and a couple speakers set up in my tiny closet of a bedroom. It was so small, this bedroom, that the shower was a closet. So the <laughs> to take a shower... There's a door that looks like a closet and you open the door and it was literally a little shower stall and my studio was set up right next to it. So that was, yeah, that was a life in, in Manhattan uh, at the time. And I was working a full-time job at the time. And I think so was Eddie too, when he first started and we got together every day and just worked on our craft and learned, uh, learned how to write better, learned how to produce and just wrote songs and songs and wrote and wrote and wrote. It's really a game of consistency, persistence, and and just like little wins that accumulate over time. And so we, we wrote a lot of songs that sucked. We wrote a couple cool ones uh, and uh, we decided to start a band. Um, and uh, fast forward a couple years, Eddie and I decided that we should move to Los Angeles because a bunch of our friends have been moving to Los Angeles him and I, I the, the job, the, like at that point, I was working actually in the music industry in the marketing department at a company called ASCAP, and they put on a um, an expo, uh, like a conference for songwriters and creators um, every year in Los Angeles. And uh, I always, I, I had already gone a couple of years um, as an intern and lender as an employee to help out at that conference to help put it on. And then one year, uh, Eddie came to to actually be at the conference too and the two of us were there so i was kind of working there but i was also kind of experiencing the the conference as a musician with eddie and we both just realized that like everybody was there i mean i we we ended up like hanging out with like uh plain white tees lead singer which years later we'd end up actually writing with him um and just hanging out with a bunch of people that we had heard about but hadn't met and we realized this is where the action is. Los Angeles is where the action is. Uh, it's where the creatives are. And we had to move out there. So we moved to Los Angeles. I picked up my, all my stuff and, and my whole family is still in New York, uh, except my sister, who's actually in London. 
but at the time, my whole family was in New York, and I, I just took that risk and decided to to move to LA. And where you remain, lucky you, uh, having the having the beach so close and the nice weather. Uh, but the, there's not uh, just your sister that there's the connection to the UK. Um, I believe one of your yeah. early successes was in the UK as well. Tell us about that. Yeah, so Eddie and I started writing, and I think one of the first songs we wrote in Los Angeles was a song called Oh My Love. Uh, and it was just, I mean, Eddie and I at the time had been writing all sorts of songs. This, this one happened to be kind of like indie pop vibe. Um, and uh, we were managed by two guys at the time who were young guys like ourselves who were learning along the way. And they came up with a brilliant idea because when we when we put All oh My Love out on SoundCloud, we just put it out on SoundCloud, uh, and it started trending on SoundCloud, which was the first time that had ever happened to us, um, kind of just organically. Uh, they um, realized that a lot of the people who reached out, like there's music industry people who reached out when they when they heard our song um, on SoundCloud, they reached out just to like I don't know, do some like prodding like what's your situation what's the deal without any actually making any moves they just wanted to know what was going on with us and um they uh they were all british for some reason so our managers were very smart at the time and they decided to they thought that the song could get a sync which is like the song could be placed as the music for a for a campaign for like a commercial campaign of some sort and they thought that um, UK companies were the best companies to target for that since we got a response from the British music industry for that song. So, so yeah, somehow it worked. They cold emailed and called basically, basically they found a list of the biggest companies in the UK online. And one of them was Asda, which is a huge UK retailer that I had never heard of at the time, but I saw that they were owned by Walmart and they were massive. So um they without even telling us they emailed all the, the ceos of all those companies and they like didn't know the ceo's email so they like literally like did like john dot smith at first name dot last name at asda dot you know co uk or whatever they like guessed the emails <laughs> and apparently the ceo of asda received their email with the song and loved it and was like we happen to be uh, putting together right now a 50 year anniversary campaign for our company. And we would love to make your song the centerpiece of the campaign. It was like a one in a million, one in a million sync opportunity. He passed the song on to their marketing department and they got in touch with our managers. And we found ourselves as like the theme song for this massive, massive sync campaign. Which is which is a huge deal, right? Because it, uh, it it then extends the audience even even more, and it becomes sort of in the psyche and uh, one of those little uh, those tunes that go goes on in people's heads. Um, so ironically, that was that was the UK, but of course now uh, your biggest market, um, as I understand it, is is the US. Uh, you've we've made it really big. Uh, your biggest uh, track, I think, looking at your Spotify is Legends in terms of number of streams. Anyway, can you tell us a little bit more about that that track and where it came from? Yeah, um, I think Legend came after Unstoppable. Um, Unstoppable uh, really 
was a song that we co-wrote with two other guys um, named David Hodges, Steve Solomon. We were doing writing sessions at the time with different people in LA, just, you know, cry, trying to like co-write with people and change up the creative energy to see what we come up with. Unstoppable came out of that. And it, for some reason it really connected and started reacting. So we realized we had something there and um, we started, um, Eddie and I also, you know, Oh My Love kind of happened to us in a way. And it was great. And we're so thankful because it led to getting signed to our label and, you know, really launched our careers. But uh, it was kind of like a happenstance kind of indie pop vibe that Eddie and I kind of were just experimenting with and didn't necessarily like decide like this is the sound for us. So when we created Unstoppable, it was more of an alternative rock leaning edge that Eddie and I really loved more and we were more passionate about. So when Unstoppable reacted, we we were really thankful for that and we decided to to try writing more music in that vein because you know we vibed with that more. Um, and Legends came out of that. Uh, Eddie, I, I'd say really Legend is born out of like the the dynamic that Eddie and I have in the studio. We've been working together for years now, and it's like being in the studio with him is like. A, it feels like we're speaking a second language. It's like we finish each other's sentences in a way. Cause when you build that kind of chemistry after consistently six days a week being in the studio together, you know, there's a chemistry that's built. And I think the song really comes from that chemistry. Eddie, um, Eddie's a, you know, he grew up in sports. He um, is a really powerful, uh, loud voice, um, uh, powerful, aggressive, bold, confident energy. And I think that song showcases his energy really well. Um, and, and then for me, it was just like, okay, how do I take this ball of energy and kind of turn it into like, it's like my version of a rock song in a way, I guess. Cause like when you think of a rock song, you think of like guitar and drums, right? I'm not a guitarist. I'm not a drummer. I'm a keyboard player. I'm a synthesis kind of computer technical guy. So how do I take like the organic and like the unpredictable rough around the edges kind of nature of rock and, and filter that through my kind of my lens. And so like, you know, creating the, the computer -y beats of that song together with like the energy of Eddie's voice, I think made that song really special. Um, amazing. And, and, and it strikes me, I've, I've listened to many of your, your songs, really enjoyed, enjoyed them. They're, they're very anthemic, you know, evocative, energetic. And, and it sort of, I find myself thinking about, and, and the video that goes with that is, uh, is incredible as well. Um, it'd be interesting to hear your story about why that video and, and, and sort of what inspired the imagery that went, went through it. But I think all of your songs have this, this feeling they, they, they move you uh, in a way, in, in a very energetic way for me anyway. T tell us about the video. What, you know, what was the thinking behind that? Um, yeah, that video, that video, um, I think it was actually our label, our, the head of the label of Republic uh, got specifically interested in the song and he came up with this idea. He thought that um, it would be great to showcase um, first responders with that song. Um, 
which Eddie and I loved because, um, you know, Eddie and I write music really about our own experiences. Like, like that song is kind of like an anthem to ourselves in a way, because, um, you know, doing music is really difficult and you get a lot of no's and you get a lot of rejection. And, uh, it, it's kind of like you need this kind of unstoppable, not to quote our own songs, but kind of unstoppable like motivation uh, in order to in order to get anywhere because you can't be discouraged. You kind of have to just like have this insane uh, belief in yourself. And so I think that song was like us kind of telling ourselves, like you know we are legends we we can do this we can achieve that ideal that we have for ourselves um and uh it kind of like is that encouraging vibe that that we also like wanted to like showcase for, for our first responders firefighters police um you know emergency workers um especially now i mean i think the song takes on a new meaning and that video takes on a new meaning now with COVID going on because these these guys are really the soldiers on the front lines that are you know that are that are sacrificing for all of us and uh it's great to like you know put the spotlight on them through that song so uh, fantastic and, and very very timely as timely and poignant as ever hasn't it been a weird year we're filming this in december 2020 yeah. uh we're all in different states of lockdown restriction hopefully some some good news on the horizon but it's been a strange year hasn't it for for music as well live music in particular um, how's it been for you? And, and uh, you know, without live, what have, what have you been focusing on? Yeah, I mean, we had so much planned for 2020. We had a Europe tour, Russia. Um, we were looking at Australia, uh, China. China was obviously one of the first places to get canceled because that's where the virus uh, started bubbling up um, at the beginning. Uh, and then uh yeah mexico so it was a bummer to have to cancel all that or postpone it um and so we've kind of been uh stuck locked in our prison of a studio we laugh about about how our label kind of locks us in there and forces us to toil away writing music um so i mean I like the studio you know it was kind of refreshing to be home for a little bit uh to be in la to spend time with my fiance and to like, you know, focus on some of the endeavors that I, that I had outside of music too. Um, and then also just to get our hands dirty in the studio and write new music. Like we've, we've collabed, we've done a lot of cool writing sessions with different people. We just wrote with Judah and the lion last week. Um, we've written, uh, I can't think of them on the top of my head right now. We've written with a bunch of cool people while just doing Zoom sessions, you know what I mean? Which is which has worked. I like I prefer to write in the room with people rather than Zoom. Um, but we're just eager to get back on the road again. It sounds like there's a big uh, big body of work that's that's ready to burst out there. And you did make a reference to other endeavors. Um, you're about to. You're not just a pretty face and a and a fantastic musician. <laughs> But you're actually uh, an entrepreneur. Um, you've got a, a new company. Would you like to tell us about that? Yeah. So, um, you know, I've taken this time to kind of focus on uh, a new endeavor, which um, basically 
my, my, it starts with my family. My father, his main business is he manufactures and sells leather jackets, uh, World War II flight jackets specifically. And, um, and I was shopping for a leather jacket myself not too long ago. And everything I was finding in the store, I felt like the quality that I was getting and the style that I was getting was, was at the price point that I expected, given like what my dad sells for his jackets was not good enough. And so I was like, dad, can you make me a leather jacket and kind of do it like this? And I gave him like, we created a pattern, how I envisioned it. And that's how uh, the Moto jacket, the Asher Moto jacket was born. And I decided that, um, you know, wouldn't it be cool if I actually turn this into a business and sell these jackets? And, uh, you know, and that's how this company Asher was born. Um, Asher is the name of my grandfather. So it, it kind of harkens to like the, the family heritage that, that the whole idea, the leather jacket thing for me comes from. I mean, I grew up like in leather jacket factories in my dad's leather jacket factory and like, you know, hearing all the machinery and smelling the smell of the leather around me. And, you know, it's part of, of where I come from in my experience in my childhood. So I wanted to kind of reference that in the name of the brand. And uh, right now we have two jackets. We have uh, the bomber jacket and the moto jacket. They are dope leather jackets. Like I guarantee you it's the highest quality leather jacket, especially made in the USA that you will get at this price point. And I'm really excited to share it with the world. Uh, you, you certainly sold me and I'm giving a sneak peek of the uh, of the new website uh it's launching uh can you tell us when uh it's launching uh monday i don't know when this is going to air but uh it's going to launch i guess on the like the 15th or so or maybe the 13th something like that 14th i think monday 14th, 14th there it is. looking forward to that and uh it looks like you've got some some good uh, uh introductory deals uh you've um let's end on let's end on this um you've given some some great um insight i think into the journey that you've been on and, and the thing that sort of strikes me ab above all is the determination resilience and uh this unstoppable so-called um attitude that that you and your your uh singing partner eddie have had um, all of the rejections. I mean, you you just you have to be uh, resistant to uh, to that to that negativity uh, that you will inevitably encounter. So, for those who are who are watching, who are maybe aspiring musicians trying to break break through, perhaps they're uh, fans of yours that are thinking about their own careers, whatever that may be, and and, and facing some hardship at the moment. What would your advice be? Well, I'd say first listen to a score song to get pumped. <laughs> that will, yeah, that will turn you around. Um, but no, uh, I, I would say, I think looking back, it's crazy thinking about when I first started, everything meant so much. Like the first couple songs I wrote, they meant so much to me. Little did I know they were going to be one of thousands of songs I would write. And like every little opportunity I was given like an opportunity to speak to an A&R at a music publishing company. I was like, this could be our big break. This is the biggest deal of my life. And we could end up on a billboard chart tomorrow. But that was really a short side of view. And then when those opportunities or those songs didn't work out for us, it felt like it felt like the whole world was ending and everything was falling apart. 
But if I had the ability, which at the time, I mean, I really couldn't, you have to go through it to really understand, but to step back and realize this is just a small part of a long journey and that these little things really don't mean much. It's about the the consistency. It's about the small wins that happen over time. And over time, that mountain is going to build and build and build until it's huge. And you're going to be looking back at yourself five years down the road, looking back, realizing how far you've come and not even realize how did that even happen? You know, if, if I, myself nine years ago, knowing where I am now, I would be so over the moon to know where I would eventually end up. Like I would be exploding with happiness and like, but at the time it didn't feel like it was happening. So I'd say like, be patient, be consistent. Um, realize that like a little rejection in the moment is going to mean nothing in a few years from now. Um, this whole journey, it's, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. So keep that perspective as you go along. Wonderful advice. Uh, you're, you're a real inspiration, certainly to me. And I think your story is remarkable and you should rightly be proud of, uh, of where you've landed. Uh, Edan Dover, you're an inspiration. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much, Greg. Appreciate it. Thank you.